Claudine Hemingway is a descendant of famed writer Ernest Hemingway. We bumped into each other at a party and decided to team up and dive deep into French history, but with a twist, by bringing a spotlight to those lesser-known creatives in France. This is History with a Hemingway. Welcome back to Paris History Avec a Hemingway. We're back with part two of all the secrets in the history of Paris. I'll let Claudine take it from here. Yeah, so last week we talked about a lot of stuff that's near the Louvre and on the right bank. And now I have even more things for the right bank. But don't fear not, you left bankers like myself. I've got some coming up for you, too. But we're on the right bank. And this is towards the Place de la Concorde. Um, so at the end of, uh, end of the Tuileries. And of course, the Place de la Concorde was known as the, you know, the Place de la Revolution when Louis XVI and Marie Antoinette lost their head at the guillotine along 2,000 other people during the Reign of Terror. But a quick name change in 1795, it ended up being called the Place de la Concorde. And so hopefully that just, uh, you know, changes the minds. Right now, it's more like the Place de Rugby because it's all set up right now as like the uh, rugby fan fan center. Have you been through there? Are we allowed to just go in there? I thought like it was a special thing. Well, you could, I mean, if you guys go around it on your scooter, but you can, there's entrances there and it's free to go into. And there's like, every time I go near anywhere near there, there's always people wearing these special rugby berets and everything that they just bought. Oh, okay. I didn't know anybody could go in. I thought you had to pay, but yeah, I've walked by it a hundred times and the they repainted the fountains. They look so good. Yeah, the I really would love to be able to get closer to the fountains, but it's also avoiding a little bit of that. But it is when it's the nights of the of the France France team in the World Cup, that's where it gets super crazy down there. Yeah, I have to go in there. I thought you had to pay. No, I, yeah, I just was peeking my head in there the other day. I walked by it a few times, and um, it's easy to get around when you're over there, but it uh, it's it's not too takes a little while to. Uh, <laughs> to try to navigate through all the people. Definitely not into crowds. No, not not too into crowds. Um, but if you look up there, there's one thing you cannot miss from there, aside from the beautiful fountains, is the obelisk. Um, in 1833, Muhammad Ali Pasha, the ruler of Ottoman Egypt, gifted France with this 3,000-year-old obelisk that once stood in front of the Luxor temple. Uh, Pasha asked for only one thing in return, a clock. Just a clock. The obelisk itself is not a hidden treasure, but it plays a role in it. If you walk around the Place de la Concorde, hopefully when it's not the Rugby World Cup time, it's if you walk around and look down on the ground, you will find a few markings. Uh, there is statues that go around the uh, around the area as well. They are dedicated to great cities of France. Um, but every once in a while, you might notice the Roman numeral. In 1913, the founder of the Société Astronomique de France and astronomer Camille Flammarion wanted to create the world's largest sundial um, and on this very spot. But plans were put in place. Um, using the 108-foot-high obelisk as the genome. Um, they were postponed twice during the World Wars. Flammarion would never see his vision come to life, but in 1999, on the advent of the millennium, a two, two people named Philippe de la Couturière 
and Denis Savoie, members of the Société Astronomique, presented the idea again to the city of Paris. The mayor at the time, Jean Tiberi, enthusiastically agreed on, on June 21st, 1999. He presented the finished sundial um, in Paris and it was inaugurated. It remained until 2001, but just like the Eiffel Tower, um, it was spot past the hands of time. And a few of those Roman numerals still work. And on a clear, sunny day, the obelisk can actually help you find the time. I never noticed the sundial. Yeah, there are quite a few. And when we talk about the some of the left bank treasures, I'll talk about another one. But I never could really figure out how they actually work. Like I always look at it and then look at it. I was like, I don't see where the shadow was hitting. Yeah, me either. I find it very confusing. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like, you know, every, you know, whenever it is in the in February when they wait for a rodent to tell you if we're going to get a summer more, more, uh, you know, early spring or just more cold weather. I, I kind of don't get it. <laughs> Pax, Paxitoxin Bill or whatever his name is. Pax, yeah, Paxitani, Paxitani Phil, I think it is. Yeah, Phil, but, yeah. Phil. But it is really cool because for I remember years and years ago visiting Paris and I was like, why is there a Roman numeral? And then, of course, I had to you know figure out why there was Roman numerals. Uh, but you can mostly find them kind of on the northern side of and it's they go way out. So it's not like in that central island where the obelisk is. You got to go off to the other side and you could kind of find them off into the corners. Well, I know what I'm looking for on my next trip. Yeah, it's really pretty cool. Um, up, walk up to the north corner of the Jardin de Tuileries towards the Jus de Palm, um, on the corner of the Terrasse de Jus de Palm, overlooking the busy traffic on Rue de Rivoli stands a very lovely, majestic lion. He's just been cleaned up um, in place there in 1819. The neoclassical lion by Giuseppe Franchi had had seen a thing or two in his time. Um, he stands in front of the Jeux de Palm and he's looking over towards the Hotel de la Marine. But during the World War II, it was a warehouse, of course, for looted art that was sent to Germany. And my my favorite girl, Rose Vallon, worked there. In August of 1945, as the liberation of Paris began, the fighting intensified in the Place de la Concorde and the lion was struck by a German tank, hit the wall, ended up having the lion tumble down onto the ground. Um, and if you look really closely at him, you see some pretty big cracks in his legs and on his tail. And even though he's been recently cleaned up, he still has those cracks, which I love that they left him there. Yeah, like it's kind of like how they leave the bullet holes in the buildings from the war. Exactly. And especially from right there, when you look over the buildings there. So they have the Hotel Creon and the Hotel de la Marine right there. And you can still see all of the bullet holes. And then also on that wall below where the lion is, you can see all the bullet holes there. And I love that they have left those. And continue on through the Tuileries. Um, the Tuileries, of course, we've talked about before. That the Palais de Tuileries was, you know, named after or created by Catherine de Medici. It was named after the Tuileries. Um, the Tuile means um, tile. And so it used to be a former tile factory that was there. Uh, so that's where the name came from. Um, she had it built after the death of her husband, King Henry II. Um, and it would opened in 1564. The Renaissance Palace was covered in regal symbol symbolism on the on the columns. Basically, she was rewriting the story of her, you know, love affair with her husband, which wasn't so great. But she is, you know, ever, maybe people forget about that. Maybe they did then. <laughs> we just know more now. Um, 
But 300 years of royalty lived in the palace, um, including Napoleon, Louis the 16th, and Marie Antoinette were there. Napoleon the Third was there. When Napoleon Bonaparte lived there, he um, had a very special lady that would stay with him every night in his room named the Mona Lisa. I love that. But of course, the palace was destroyed on May 23rd, 1871 and the days of the Paris Commune. But what I love is that way over on the side, on the um, on the Seine side, if you are up above on the upper terrace, which is where the orangery is, and you look down, go down a little ways and look down, there is a window arcade there off to the side, kind of hidden. This is where like the gardeners always have their plants getting ready to go and where they park all their vehicles. But right there is a piece of the former Tuileries um, that stood there. It stood for 12 years after it was destroyed and burned before they finally took it down in 1883. But you could go there and see what it actually looked like um, just right there in the garden. And I love that. I mean, like you said, so many secrets we just miss every day. You do. And you just kind of, you don't, you know, I say they're hidden in plain sight. You just maybe take a few steps off the beaten path and you're, you will be able to find them. Um, speaking of the death of a king, Henry IV, um, one of my very favorites, he um, goes over, you could find a little uh, secret of his over near Leal. Um, on May 14, 1610, as we have talked about before, Henry IV was traveling by coach from the Louvre. He was wanting to see um, the procession of his wife, Marie de Medici, who had just been crowned Queen of France, but he was on his way to go see his friend Maximilien du Sully. Um, he was coming down this little street, street called the Rue de Ferronnier, which was ba- is basically the um, Ironworker Street. He found it blocked by wagons carrying hay and wine barrels. While his men stepped off the coach to clear the traffic, the king was left unguarded long enough for a religious zealot named Francois Ravaillac. He jumped onto the coach and stabbed the Ver Gallant, as we would call him, with a knife that he took at, from his lunch. Um, as you walk down this street, keep your eyes uh, looking down and inlaid in the street is the spot where he was killed is a stone crest for Henry IV. So on the left, it has the Fleur de Lis and on the right, it has the chains of Navarre because he was the King of France and Navarre and the date of his death. And it marks a spot where he was killed. He would die before he was able to return to the Louvre. Um, And then of course, uh, following his death, a wax effigy of the King sat in the Salle de Caritide for 11 days in June, 1610. Um, It was a full size uh, replica of the King that laid on top of his coffin. He was there, you know, his body was in the coffin and this replica of him laid on top of it and they would change his clothes every day. And he looked like he was just laying in bed and uh, they would set up tables in the room where people would eat with them. That is so creepy. It is. And I um, was I am obsessed with this wax effigy idea of him. And I have wondered where it is. But just recently, I went out to the Chateau de Chanty and they have one there. And there's one also in the Carnavalet, but it, neither one is the one that was from the one at the Louvre. So I don't know whatever happened to that one, but it's uh, I always have, I don't know why I thought that they were like, you know, more of um they maybe they look something like the crash test dummies would they be using cars? <laughs> I mean, if anyone needs funeral ideas, here's your next. Here's your next one. 
but um they it's actually looks like i mean it's it's like hard hard wax and then it's painted and it's like you know he's his skin color and his hair and he's wearing clothes and i'll post a picture of what they look like because it doesn't look anything like the weird really weird thing i imagined <laughs> the really weird thing i imagined <laughs> but it is it is like when you go there it's really cool you just look down it's in front of when you're walking down the street, there's the Otacos, which is a place I've never gone, even though I really would love to have a, a taco. Um, the only thing that I miss from uh, the U.S. But it's uh, in front of the place called Otaco. And down in the in the ground is this really big, beautiful uh, gray marble crest marking the spot. Oh, tacos are not tacos. I'm just warning you. Don't go. There. I know. I've heard about that. It was on the news one day about how gross they are. And actually, they look more like a panini. Yeah, they're more like a kebab. <laughs> oh, no. I really am what, what's like, sometimes it's like, can I just have a crunchy taco shell? Like, I want the kind that, you know, you had as a kid with ground beef. <laughs> like, I just want one of those because that's just something we will never, ever have here. Yeah, that's the good stuff. That's the good stuff. Um, very close to there is the ch church, the Eglise Santustache. Um, and that is just a very short walk from there. You just kind of walk under this little um, arcade and walk through Leal with its really super weird canopy, flying carpet canopy. And you cannot miss the gorgeous, gigantic Santustache. Um, it is right there was the, you know, the old layout, which was the, what they would call the belly of Paris. Um, that dates back to the 11th century when it was kind of a dry goods market. And then the food vendors moved in. It became the central market of Paris. It was torn down in 1971. In 1476, the co cooperation um, of charcuteries, one of the most important organizations in France, as you can imagine, created this, uh, created a, was created blending the history and the gastronomy all into one. And they had been very popular, but they went through some difficult times when there was rumors at one point that they, the type of meat they were butchering might not have been like just animal. We'll just leave it at that. Uh, yeah. So therefore, to win back the good name and give back to the community and to, to the Church of Saustache, they the very first chapel, when you go inside the church, um, right now the bigger doors and the transept are open. So I just was in there a couple of days ago. You walk in those doors and take a right. The, the, the last chapel, um, before you get to the Chapel of the Virgin, um, it was dates back to 1945 and the stained glass windows in it are the ones you want to look at. And I think they are the, might be the coolest ones in Paris because if you look closely at it, the one at the very top has a seal of Paris on the left and the coat of arms of which of the guild, which is depicted with three sausages and a pig. That makes sense. Yeah. And below it is Saint Antoine, who's the patron saint of uh, charcuteries. Um, and then he could also be seen with a pig near his feet. And on the left is a chef presenting a tray of pork goodness to the church officials. Only in Paris will you find a chapel dedicated to sausage. And in November of each year, there is a Sunday which they dedicate to these people. And when they do this, they come and they have like platters and platters of charcuterie they give out to people. And I will figure out that I will, as soon as I find that day, I will be there. <laughs> Sign us up. I just think it's so random and I love it so much that there is a chapel dedicated to charcuterie. But now where's the one dedicated to fromage? 
I mean, I'm more into the fromage one. Let's make that happen. Well, and if you go to if you go to Rance, if you go, you know, to the beautiful Notre Dame de Rance, there's the whole windows and chapel that is dedicated to champagne making. Oh, yeah. I have to go inside there. Yeah. So if now we just need the cheese, I'm going to be I'm going to do some research and find out where the cheese went, because, you know, there's got to be one in France someplace. Great plan. There's got to be one. Um, if you come out the door there and you look to your right, there is a big round building that is very cool. And that is, and right by that is a column. And this column was uh, created by our witchy queen, Catherine de Medici. She was a big believer in astrology and her advisor, uh, uh, Cosmo Ruggeri, told her she would die near Saint-Germain. So in the midst of all of this, she was building the Palais de Tuileries, which is, of course, near the Saint-Germain-Lacroix. She stopped the construction abruptly, moved back to the Hotel de Saison, which is was right there near Saint-Eustache. Um, the entire everything um, that was part of that Hotel de Saison has been destroyed except for this column. It's a very tall column. And at the very top of it, it has a glass roof and something on top of it that kind of it looks like a birdcage is the best way to describe it. And that is where it had 147 stairs to go to the very top. And she would go off from her apartment. She had a little door that she could go up to the top. And from there, she could go and look at the stars and then, you know, conjure up her witchy powers, I think. Um, but the whole thing was destroyed in 1748. And the Bors de Comeras was built, but they kept the tower there. And it has been covered and under construction it was i think it was for six years so every time i came here the first you know dozen times it was always covered up and i never got to see it until about a year ago when it was finally finished um and it's pretty cool because it's right there at the bors de cameras on the back side of it so you could just think about catherine being up there you know plotting her evil her evil ways doing her witchy stuff doing her witchy stuff but you got the church right there so maybe she thought it kind of you know she canceled it out <laughs> yeah that makes sense that makes perfect yeah. sense so also very close to there and this is a probably a place that you have seen um on the rue etienne marcel is the tour de jean saint Père. And the second arrondissement is one of the few architectural remains of the Middle Ages that we could see. Um, it was built in 1409, finished in 1411, and the tower keep of the former Hotel de Bourgogne is an often overlooked treasure that sits just off the busy Rue Etienne Marcel. Um, after Jean Saint-Pierre, which means John the Fearless, and his cousin Louis d'Orléans killed, he had him killed. We've talked about that before, and we've talked about the Marais. He took over the property and had a big palace built there to show his power and his wealth. Over the many years, the property passed through the hands of one noble after another, and the land was divided. In 1866, on the heel of Houseman's rebuilding of Paris and the construction of Etienne Marcel, the remaining buildings were destroyed, but the tower was kept. Um, the good news is that you could also visit this one. You could climb each of the historic steps up to the very top. You go up there, it has a little example of what a you know medieval toilet was, and just be glad that we have you know indoor plumbing. Um, and it has the column that goes through the middle. If you look at the at the very top of the ceiling, it kind of goes up in the the 
ceiling is covered like it's a tree with leaves and everything. It's really beautiful. Um, and it's open Wednesdays to Sundays in the afternoon. They sometimes have special exhibits. It's not, you know, it's nothing that's very fancy at all. The special exhibits look like something that might have you might have done, you know, in, in junior high that would have been in your, you know, high school or your school gym <laughs> with a lot of like pictures just pasted on. Um, but it is kind of, it is interesting. I've gone where they've done one about medieval fashion and all these different things. Um, but it is pretty cool because it's one of the few things you could do that's, you know, go inside a medieval thing here in Paris. Um, but it, that one's a really cool one. Um, the Philippe Auguste wall, which also goes right by there. Um, long before, you know, Jean uh, Saint-Pierre built this, it was, um, the location was the Hotel d'Artoise. It was built by Robert II, the Count of Artoise in 1270, sitting on the very edge of the Philippe Auguste wall that encircled Paris. The wall was built from 1190 to 1290. And the part, you know, when we talked about the Louvre last week, part of that, you know, the medieval remains, it was built because it was part of the wall. Um, it's encircled over 625 acres and ran a mile and a half on the right bank alone. The 20 to 20 foot high walls were three feet thick limestone, kept all the intruders out. On the right bank, just behind the Saint-Paul Saint-Louis church is the longest stretch of the wall that remains on the Rue des Jardins Saint-Paul, lining a large basketball court. Um, it's almost 200 feet of ancient wall and the portion of the Tour Montgomery just outside the court. I always walk by there and wonder if those kids playing basketball have any idea of what they're playing basketball next to. <laughs> I bet they don't. I'm sure they don't. Um, but it is pretty cool to be able to see to see that right there. Um, and then also the San Paul San Luis Church is one you should definitely go into because in there is a painting by one of my favorite guys. And I think I actually haven't mentioned him in at least a few episodes, but Delacroix. He has a painting in the San Paul Saint Louis, which is Christ in the Garden of Olives. Um, it is just right there over the door on the um, left transept. You can see it there. And if you go a little farther, you could go to the Saint Denis de Saint Sacrament Church. And there is a painting he did there of the Pieta. And of course, there's the ones he did of Saint Sulpice. But we'll talk about those um, maybe when we talk about the left bank in next week. Well, guys, there you have it. We're moving to the left bank next week. And make sure you head out to ClaudineHemingway.com for more information and to check out more photos, book a tour, and just join Claudine in Paris. Thanks for listening today, guys. If you're interested in learning more about Claudine, her tours, history, and the beautiful photographs that she posts all over Instagram, tune into her website, ClaudineHemingway.com.